Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fivoli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. In today's episode, we will be discussing a recently released insight statement entitled Protecting Pensioners of Traditional Defined Benefit Plans, a new approach to solvency funding and benefit reductions on plan windup. The statement was authored by CIA members Sir Charbonneau and Joe Noons, and Joe joins us today to talk about their work. So thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So let's start off. What was the problem that you were trying to address by authoring this statement? The problem that we're trying to address is a fairly well-known problem. When pension plans are wound up and there's not a solvents employer backing the promises any longer, you often see benefit cuts to active employees and retirees. And how do we get here? What was the cause of this problem? How did this happen? Well, the way funding is set up for pension plans in Canada is that employers set aside money, a segregated fund to pay for pension benefits when they come due. But due to the nature of defined benefit plans, it's not always known exactly how much money needs to be set aside. And so there's an actuarial exercise of estimating the amount of money to set aside, looking at how much assets are already in place and, and adding contributions, etc. And at any particular moment, it's not likely that the exact amount of money needed to pay all pensions it matches perfectly with the amount of money in the pension fund. And so, you know, the reality is that, you know, sometimes pension funds wind up with surpluses and sometimes pension funds wind up with deficits. Now, the catch is if there's a pension fund with a deficit and the employer still exists, the employer has to make up the difference. The problem really only arises when you've got a pension fund with a deficit and it's being wound up because the employer has gone out of business and there is no employer to top up the pension. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and now what do you see as a solution to this problem? You know, our solution is a little bit of a a revision to how we fund pensions, but before we dig in on that, I just wanna kind of share sort of two key ideas that underpin the way uh, we're approaching this. Essentially, you know, one of the first key ideas is that, you know, we see retirees and especially older retirees, as being the most vulnerable group when pensions get cut. Retirees, especially the older retirees, have a less likelihood of being able to go back to work to earn income, to replace lost pension income, or to earn uh, additional income from which to build additional savings. And so that's kind of one of the, the fundamental keys to our approach is to say, well, you know, who are the people that we're trying to protect? And of course, it would be great to protect every member of a pension plan and make sure that no one ever loses any pension benefits. But if people are going to lose pension benefits, you have to ask. That kind of is like a key underpinning of how we've approached it. And then, you know, the other part is that, you know, older workers and and retirees, they have less time in terms of time horizon to take investment risks, to rebuild the investments that they do have, to try and rebuild the pension that's lost. So again, we're, you know, our approach is to favor the older workers and the retirees. So if you look at our paper, what we've come up with is rather than unwind up cutting all the benefits pro rata to the level of assets available in the fund. So that is that if there's only assets to support 85% of the liabilities, everyone in the plan, young, old, retired, active, receive a 15% cut in their benefit. What we've said is we've said that we should 
do two things. First, we should ask employers to fund to a greater degree the older workers. So rather than targeting an 85% solvency, which is the current rules in Ontario, we're saying, you know, for the very oldest retirees, you should really be targeting 100% of their obligation because they really need that higher level of protection. And for younger workers, it could be possible to only target, say, 75% if governments are willing to put at risk that maybe those people won't receive 100% of their promised benefit. The other side of it is, is that should there be an insolvency and not enough assets, then likewise, our system, if you look at the paper, prefers the older retirees and older workers over younger workers in terms of how you cut pensions. So we introduce a concept called tolerable cutbacks. And if you decide that it's tolerable to cut back a a 65-year-old by 5%, but it's tolerable to cut back a 35-year-old by 25%, uh, then likewise, when you look at the assets available, you'd scale the cutbacks by the age of the cohort involved. Okay, so what other approaches did you consider to solving this problem? Well, you know, there's a lot of approaches that are commonly proposed such as, you know, a guarantee fund run by the government or just, you know, governments, you know, without a fund even, just on the behalf of taxpayers paying the benefits. And, you know, another one is changing the creditor priority so that pension funds come ahead of bondholders or other secured creditors. And each proposed solution comes with its own problems. If you decide to run a guarantee fund, and Ontario has for many years, Uh, you get into a problem of whether you're charging the right price for the risk that's being underwritten. And you kind of end up in a situation where strong businesses that have promised pension benefits that have a a solvency deficit are going to pay a premium to fund the deficits of weaker businesses that may actually go out of business. And so it's a bit tricky. And I think on that, I think both Serge and I would prefer if there's going to be some sort of a guaranteed system It'd be done through letters of credit and through the banking system. The other idea of changing the priorities, you know, it's sort of on the surface makes enormous sense. Hey, let's just make pension deficits a higher priority in an insolvency and put it ahead of other creditors. The main problem with that is the lenders to businesses have done very careful calculations on the likelihood that the business can pay them back for their loans and have charged interest accordingly. If you change those priorities midstream, then you're kind of changing the rules for lenders mid-course. But even if you change the rules after bonds expire for any new bonds being issued after a certain period of time, lending rates will go up for those businesses. And so you could have a cyclical problem where you push those businesses into lower profits or even insolvency by making it harder for them to borrow. So it's not such an easy answer as it sounds sort of intuitively. And we've discussed those types of approaches in the paper, but we've mostly focused on trying to modify the current system of the employer is responsible for funding the benefits and you know, through some periodic process of making contributions to a segregated fund. Ideally, as we said at the beginning, ideally there's enough money to pay all the benefits, but if there isn't, then you have to make a, governments have to make a choice on how they want the, the benefit reductions to be applied to different groups of people. Okay. Now we did see a comment on the Seeing Beyond Risk blog uh, related to your statement, and it suggested that 
expected average remaining service lifetime should be used to determine these tolerable cutbacks. So what do you think of that approach? What are some of the pros and cons of that? Well, I think that that's a similar idea to ours. The idea being that the less time you have ahead in the future, the lower your cutback should be. Expected remaining service lifetime is a terminology that comes out of the accounting standards. And, you know, retirees have no future service lifetime. So I don't know if that would mean that there'd be no cutback for retirees at all. But it, it does correlate a little bit with what we're saying. It may not be just as precise. Okay. Now I understand you also had a conversation where it was suggested that these proposals are really just taking from some plan members and giving to others. How do you respond to that comment? Well, you know, it is true. If, if you start with the concept of we've got a fixed amount of money and, and one option is to divide the money pro rata to all people and another is to favor the older retirees against the younger workers, then it does sound like taking from the younger to give to the older But I wouldn't necessarily frame it that way in the sense that what you could do is you could say, well, the tolerable cutbacks for the very youngest workers is still only 15%, which is kind of the current standard. And and what we're really saying is maybe we ought to have a higher standard for older workers. And so what could happen is you could set up a system or, or the government could choose a set of rules where essentially what ends up happening is the employer just has to fund benefits to a higher level so that those older workers get less of a cutback, whereas it would be, you know, cost and benefit neutral to the younger employees. So it doesn't necessarily have to take from the younger plan members to give to the the older plan members. The, The balancing feature could be additional employer contributions. And I think in the same conversation, there was a comment that these proposals were a form of harm reduction. I I think there's got to be a better way to characterize this, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, harm reduction doesn't necessarily sound like the right terminology, but I think the concept is there. What we're trying to address, you know, when we had the insolvencies of Sears and Nortel, we had a great number of pensioners that lost pension benefits. And so it got substantial media attention and really that is the negative outcome that we're seeking, not necessarily to eliminate, but to reduce its impact in terms of people that are on a fixed income and are well into retirement and don't really have time or any sources of income, alternate sources of income to adjust. Okay, well, it sounds like there's a lot of really good discussion points in this statement. So we certainly encourage everybody to read the statement on the CIA website and join the conversation on the Seeing Beyond Risk blog as well. So Joe, thanks very much for joining us today to talk about the statement. Thank you, Chris. We now have several dozen episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you to subscribe and you can do so through Spotify or Apple or whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. And if you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment. As always, we would like to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions or episode ideas, you can send them to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. And mentioning the blog once again, we're always looking for content. So if you have ideas you would like to share, you can send them to us at seeingbeyondrisk at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fiboli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk. 